Hello, good to see you all this morning. My name is Simon Stokes, and uh, it's my pleasure to be here with you. I've been at UNC with RUF for the last 10 years. I just want to say thank you for the prayers that so many of you all have given me, uh, for some of the support that you all have given to our ministry. It is a really beautiful thing to get to stand at the crossroads of life with college students and to invite them into the good news of the kingdom of God. Um, so thank you for that. Um, we're looking at Galatians 2, 15 through 21 today. If you've got a Bible app, uh, please pull it up. We're going to be looking at this quite a bit. Um, and I don't do a ton of background on these things, but just because we're parachuting in today, I thought it'd be helpful. Um, Paul is writing this letter to a church in Galatia that he planted. He's a church planner. He plants this around the good news of Jesus. Not good advice, not good teaching, not good vibes, but good news of what Jesus has done and how that changes the way that we see ourselves, we see the world, we see God's work in the world. So he plants this church, he leaves to go plant other churches, and these folks, probably from around Jerusalem, come in and they say, okay, yes, 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 Paul is right, Jesus is the Messiah, but it's not Jesus plus nothing is everything, it's Jesus plus following the Old Testament ceremonial law and eating the right things and wearing the right clothes, and if you're a man, being circumcised, that's what makes you part of God's people. That plus Jesus. And Paul hears about this, and it is like you have snatched the cubs away from the mama bear. Like, he is not happy about it. And so we're diving into this midstream in this letter, but we're seeing Paul's heart and God, Paul's passion for what God has done through Jesus in this good news of grace. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. I'll get started, and we'll move into this. Um, Jesus, I thank you for this word that you wrote so long ago through your servant Paul. Um, Lord, I pray that as we come today with all the different burdens we carry, with all the things that we're thinking about, whether it's work or parenting or family or loss or school, um, God, that you would meet us in those places. Um, Lord, that you'd bear those burdens with us. Um, Lord, that we'd see your love and your care for us, even in things that are hard. God, that you'd be using those hard things to make us more like yourself, to actually set us free, um, to be the people that you made us to be. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us today through this scripture. And Lord, that you'd open it up to us and we'd see that it really is good news good, good news of what you've done through your son, Jesus. Lord, that it's what he's done, that by looking at him, God, that we receive what we need to live with you, with ourselves, and in this world. In your name we pray, amen. So a few years ago, there was a documentary that came out, and I think you can see it on Disney Plus at this point, but it's called Free Solo. And it's about this guy named Alex Honnell, who's a professional mountain climber, and Alex is working at free soloing, which means no ropes, no harnesses, no gear, just your hands and your climbing shoes up El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. So 3,000 feet of sheer granite cliff face, like a wall. He's going to free solo that. And as you look at this guy, the documentary is really diving into not just what would make somebody want to do something like this? But what would make someone need to do something like this? I mean, he's driven to do 
this very intense, incredibly dangerous act of mountain climbing that nobody's ever done before. Uh, he's, he's taking it right to the very edge. And at one point in the documentary, he's belaying on some ropes on the side of El Cap and just kind of practicing the route. And he falls about 30 feet and gets this really bad ankle sprain. And so he goes to the doctor and the, the nurse there tells him, hey, look, you need to rest up. You need to let this thing heal. Like, give yourself some time to recover from this. The very next shot is him in a climbing gym with a medical boot on his leg working at this, this climb. I mean, it gives you a sense of how driven this guy is. Like, what would make someone not just want to do it, but need to do that? Especially when everyone around him, his mom, his girlfriend, his best friends, his mentors, the people who are filming this whole thing, are freaking out about the very real possibility that he's going to fall off this mountain and die. I mean, this is incredibly serious. And Alex, at one point, is being interviewed by the documentary filmmakers, and they're asking him, why do you want to do this? What do you need to do this? And he just says, no matter how well I ever do it, anything, I always feel like it's not good enough. There's just this bottomless pit of self-loathing. And as he says this, the documentary pans out on the room that he's in, and it's wall-to-wall in framed magazines with him on the cover. Like the best climbing magazines, the best travel magazines, New York Times Magazine, just talking about how amazing he is and how he's the best climber in the world. But he's in the middle of this, talking about he's, he's just never good enough. He goes on to say, if you're seeking perfection, free soloing is as close as you're going to get. It just feels good to be perfect for a moment. Think about that. I mean, you could call Alex's free soloing a lot of things. You could call it his career, his passion, a bid at fame or immortality. You could call it all those things. You could also call it his justification. The thing that's going to make him right with himself, with the world, that's going to make sense of everything in his life. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that your religion is more than books, it's more than shrines or churches or prayers or devotionals or quiet times. What I want to suggest to you is that your religion is really about how you feel okay about who you are. It's how you answer the question of what's going to make me right with the universe, with myself. What's going to direct my future? What's going to make sense of my past? How am I going to manage my guilt or figure out what matters? That your religion is the way that you feel right with the world. It's the justifying story of your life. It's how you feel that you are enough. Wherever you are most tired, most competitive, most proud, most anxious, that's where you see your desire to be enough or to feel like we're enough. And the Bible's word for how we answer that deep, deep need is justification. It is a free, which I'm going to define for you here, a free act of God where without any merit or qualification, a sinner like you or me is completely forgiven and accepted as righteous, as right, based upon Jesus. Justification is God giving people what they most long for, and feel like they most need. Not just the sense of the thing, but its reality. 
without it, you and I are going to look for it in work, in exercise, in romance, in friendships, in family, in politics, in money, in a million different ways. We're going to try to be justified, but there's only one real way that it can happen. Through faith in God accepting you based upon Jesus. So this morning, I want to look at this text. I'm going to break it down to three things. I'm going to talk about the need of justification, the means of justification, and the offer of justification. The need, the means, the offer of justification. So look at the start of what Paul is saying here. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. We are the people who inherited the promises of God. We got the scriptures, we got the prophets, we got the law, we got God's blessing, we got exile because we didn't live into the covenant, but we're God's people. We know how this works. We're not Gentile sinners like the rest of us, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, I don't know if you catch, caught this, but over and over again, Paul is hammering that it's not by works of the law. It's not our personal actions, our personal merit, the things that we can know or do or show or prove that someone can be made right with God or made right with themselves or made right with the world. Why is that something that Paul has to drive in? Because it is so hard for us to accept it. Even when we sign off on the outside, like, yeah, totally, this is the way it works. We can sign off on that on the outside. On the inside, it can feel like, ah, but, but I don't know, except for this thing. Everyone's insides feel the need to be justified. Everybody. And we can approach that through hard work, through getting into the right school, by being with the right people, getting behind the right causes or the right candidates. Whether you're religious or not, you need to feel justified. And the problem with trying to justify ourselves is, is that it doesn't really resonate with who we are or what we can really do or how we really feel about ourselves when we put down our phones and put down the Netflix because it doesn't deal with the problem that no matter how much we achieve, we still feel empty inside. That looking for righteousness through achievement will only make you feel more exhausted, more frustrated, more disappointed, or if you start to get some of those things, more proud and arrogant. But it cannot make you feel satisfied. It will not lead to rest or contentment. I mean, maybe you can unlock the achievements and feel okay for a minute, but then it ends pretty quickly. I mean, somebody once said, whatever ambition your heart eats, it's still hungry. Isn't that great? Whatever ambition your heart eats, it's still hungry. So often our problems with this don't come from our failures. Our failure can actually drive us to this. Our problem with justification can come from our success. Because that is the thing that we'll look at and say, oh, this is, this is what will make me feel right for a minute. But to want to be justified, to want to feel right with yourself, with God, with the universe, means you have to ask the question of how much success is enough success? How much doing is enough doing? At the end of Free Solo, Alex Honnold makes it to the top of El Cap. No ropes, 
no gear, no harness. He does it. He climbs 3,000 sheer feet of granite, makes it to the very top. The only person that's up there waiting for him is the cameraman who's kind of watched him climb up the mountain. He gets up there by himself. He's ecstatic. He calls his girlfriend. Some other tourists kind of wander up from the backside of the mountain where the actual trail is, and they're kind of taking pictures of the landscape and you know, selfies over this beautiful Yosemite in a natural area. But nobody notices what he's done. In fact, he takes off his climbing shoes and he starts to walk down the back of the mountain, down the trail. And that's when people are like, dude, you're not wearing shoes down the mountain. So hardcore. And like, they've missed the whole thing that he's done and that he's staked his entire life and existence on. And then he goes back to the van that he lives in, eats some ramen, takes a nap, and starts to practice for the very next big climb that he wants to do. Because no matter how perfect you get, there's always a desire inside of us that if your righteousness, if your justification is by what you do, then it's going to dry up pretty quick. Alex Honnell climbed El Capitan to feel that sense of fullness for like five minutes. What do you do? Do you slave away working from home? Do you drive yourself to make your family happy? Do you edit yourself and edit your personality so that it can feel like the right people will sign off on you? We need to feel justified. We have to feel justified. But it is so hard to let that out of our hands, isn't it? Like, give me the right rituals or the right disciplines or the right people to sign off on me. And they don't even have to be obviously religious for that to happen for our insides. Have you ever, ever heard of the term orthorexia? It's somewhat similar to the term of anorexia, but instead of starving yourself, it means an obsession with proper or healthful eating exercise. So people with orthorexia become so fixated on so-called healthy eating, they actually damage their own well-being. It's not eating nothing, it's eating only the right things and figuring out the perfect diet and the perfect routine at the gym to the point that it's more than a healthy habit or lifestyle, it's an obsession and it damages them. You could call that a lot of things, skewed priorities or insecurity or addiction, not saying those things aren't at play. But also think about the fact that everybody on their inside wants to feel whole. Everyone wants to feel like they're in this right alignment with themselves, with God, with the universe. We don't just want that, we need that. We crave that. There's no escaping it. And we'll do anything we can to feel that way. We will work ourselves to death. We will eat or not eat. We will say anything, do anything, prove whatever we have to prove to feel whole. And if we can't, then we get really sad and really anxious and we wither up inside. And what is so weird about the moment that you and I live in is that as a society has become less outwardly religious, it hasn't meant that this desire for rightness or righteousness has gone away in the human heart. It's still there. It's still as loud as it's ever been. But it means there's no clear way for people to get that. There's no clear way for people to get, feel justified. 
And so everything in our life is telling us this is the way to feel righteous. Exercise tells us that. Politics tells us that. Work tells us that. Family tells us that. Relationships or lack thereof tell us those things. The idea was that when you tell people, hey, you don't need God to say if you're righteous or not, then people would be free to, to get that however they wanted to get it. Choose your adventure. You can do anything. But that's not the reality of the human heart. Now it's not you can do anything. It's now you have to do everything, which makes us busy and stressed out and anxious. And at the same time, there's no clear way to become righteous or feel like you're righteous once you've messed up. Like once somebody has crossed the line, how do they get back on the right side of the line? Like Twitter wars, social media shaming, some of the moral outrage we've all seen come from the fact there's no way to be forgiven in a culture that puts us at the center. Like how can you be sure that you can be righteous when you've hurt somebody that you really care about? How can you even calculate the cost of that forgiveness? How can you ever be sure that you've done enough, felt enough, proven enough, shown enough to the right people, the right things, the right causes? Paul and the Bible are screaming, you can't. It's not by works of the law. Just look at verses 19 through 20. He says, for through the law I died to the law. Trying to live by his efforts show Paul how empty those efforts were. That the more that he worked, the less righteous he felt. The more that he tried to show God, look, I'm reading the things I'm supposed to read. I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. I'm dressing the way I'm supposed to dress. The less it became about God, the more it became about Paul. And Paul died to the law when he said, I can't do this. I can't make myself feel like I'm good enough. In fact, the more seriously I take these things, the more that I realize that I can't do them. It's not something that I can earn and give to God or even back to myself. And when that happens for Paul, when he gives up on that, what happens? Look at the next line. When I die to the law, I live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Paul gives up on his own merit, he gets the merit of another. How? By looking away from himself in faith to Jesus. Faith is not a feeling like, oh, okay, today I feel so close to God. Like, I went to church this week. I've been reading the Bible on my own. I, I haven't had any, like, big, egregious sins. I feel close to God. I must have faith. And then on other days, gosh, I didn't go to church for like two weeks. Uh, I yelled at my kids, yelled at my spouse. Like I, I, I did one of those big sins that I, I hate to do, but I consistently feel like I'm doing. Like I, I must not have faith because I don't feel close to God. That's not faith because that's still just looking at yourself. Saving faith is not a feeling. Saving faith is not looking at yourself. Saving faith is looking at Jesus and saying, accept me based on you and what you've done, not on me and what I've done. Saving faith is seating yourself in God's care and his mercy and his forgiveness in the same way that you've set yourself in your chair today and expecting that he will carry the weight of you and who you are, and what you've done, and your hopes, and your dreams, and your future, and your past. 
And when that happens, it leads to a radical understanding of who you are. Look at verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. How can Paul say that? Paul never got crucified. If he had been crucified, he wouldn't have been able to write this. Lots of other Christians have applied this to themselves. Crucified people can't do anything. They're, they're, they're stuck. They're fixed, right? They're not going anyplace. They can't show anything. They can't prove anything. Paul is saying, this is my life now, though. This is who I am. This is what's happened to me because it's what happened to Jesus. Look, the radical claim of the New Testament is that when we come to him by faith, Jesus so represents us that he gets all the condemnation and shame and wrath that we deserve for our sin. And we get exactly what he's gotten so that we can say, I have been crucified with Christ. I've been buried with Christ. I've been raised with Christ. I'm seated with him in the heavenly places. Because on the cross, everything that is ours becomes Jesus. And by faith, when we look to him, everything that is Jesus becomes ours. And I, I've had experiences with this that I, I feel like are pretty similar to some ones that you may have had in the past as well. I, in 2017, I was at UNC when they won the national championship and the day after they won, it was like 19,000 people were suddenly on Prozac. Like, the sun was twice as bright, strangers were high-fiving one another, everybody felt like winners, even though most of the people there had not played basketball the night before. Because they were fans, they were under the work, or under the merit of these five guys who had played and had won this massive game. So that people who had ridden the bench but were on the team, they were under that. Your granddad who hadn't played basketball in 50 years, he was under that. The babies of the people who suddenly showed up on campus and dressed their kids in Tar Heel onesies but were the size of a basketball and had never played basketball, they are enfolded in that win. And in the same way, when you come to him by faith, Jesus so represents us that we're enfolded in everything that he's done and in who he is. This is why Christians are people who've given up on any claim to both their badness and all the things that come with that and their goodness and all the things that might hope come with that. But to be a Christian means that you cannot fix your badness and you cannot trust your goodness. Instead, your trust or your faith is in Jesus to deal with both how bad you are and to give you his goodness in himself. Think about how this shapes your view of what faith in Jesus is. If you're hidden in Jesus, then this is now the defining truth of who you are. Not your parenting, not your marriage or your singleness, not your work, but your life, your story, your action or your inaction, your badness or your goodness become enfolded, hidden by another. So faith is not just believing that Jesus is real and is somewhere out there, but faith is believing that Jesus has acted for you. It's finding out who you are in him and being accepted and brought in by God because of him. I had a, a guy in our ministry a few years ago who was uh, one of the mascots at UNC. So he's like one of the Ramses. And he, when he was just dressed as a normal person, could hang out in the center of campus. And he was a normal guy. Like, nobody paid attention to him. He was just hanging out. 
You could walk by them, never think anything about it. But on days when he was dressed as Ramses and he showed up at the center of campus, people lost their minds. Like high fives, hugs. I saw strangers hand this man their children so that he could hold them and they would take pictures of them. I mean, a total stranger. Because he was hidden in the life of Ramses, he was loved, accepted, enjoyed, embraced because of this life that he was covered by. To have faith in Jesus means God does the same thing with you. That he looks at you, deals with you, embraces you because your life is hidden, enfolded, enveloped in the life of Jesus. To die to the law means you look to Jesus and live to Jesus. And here's what's really beautiful about this. This means that you can give up on your performance. You can stop performing for other people or worrying, am I doing enough for God? Does he like me enough? Have I fulfilled enough of his expectations? Look, objectively, our performance is garbage. God knew that. That's why he sent Jesus. But God cares enough about you to give you the performance of another. He doesn't care about your performance now. He cares about your faith and who it's in. God loves you and he wants something better for you than looking good and showing people that you're awesome. Being liked is not enough for you. You were made to be loved. And he wants you to share in that life of love. To embrace Jesus and to be embraced by Jesus is what you were made for. Feeling numbed out and just okay is not enough for you. You need joy. And so God wants you to share in the life of the joy of Jesus. To embrace Jesus, to be embraced by Jesus is to be covered by his life. His accomplishments, His merits, the love of His Father, what all of your efforts could not achieve, the love of Jesus achieves. And y'all, gosh, I want to qualify this so badly. Like, yes, 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 Jesus, but first you need to develop like a Bible reading plan and like really commit yourself to that. And once you've made your way cover to cover through the Bible, even Leviticus, like then... Then God will have you. Then God will accept you. Or like, yes, it's just Jesus, but first, you need to kick that addiction. Like, you need to get that out of your life. And once you clean yourself up, then God will have you. I want to qualify it like that. The problem is the Bible doesn't qualify that. It says that only Jesus qualifies you. And yes, after you believe in him, transformation comes, but it's after you've been justified by him, after you've been made right with him. You see, when you see his love for you and you rest yourself in him, then things like work and relationships and your sexuality, those things start to get put in the right place in our lives. But only when we see who Christ is and what he provides can you trust him and receive what he is and what he's done. You know, this is so far from this idea that, you know, I do my part, God does, uh, God does his part, we meet in the middle, he's happy with me so long as functionally I'm like this extrovert for Jesus and I'm on mission for Jesus. Look, 
you don't do a part in this. God does all the part in this. You don't meet God in the middle. God meets you where you are. Look, rather than working to be justified, the Christian life is finding out how deep God's love for you goes. Look, if you're here and you're still trying to justify yourself, I'm really glad you're here. But I want to say that your effort to depend on yourself to become a better version of you will always be about more and more about what you can do. It will be another law. It will lead to burnout. It will make you more self-obsessed and more unloving. But Jesus is the off-ramp from that. And I'm not telling you to just stop because I don't think that you can stop. But I'm telling you to look away from yourself and to look at Jesus. To see him loving you and caring for you and dying on the cross for you. It's only the love of God that draws our hearts out of ourselves. It's only the love of God that slays our pride. God loved us and died for us, which is incredibly humbling. You're so bad that God had to die for you to fill that hole inside of you that says, I want to be right. And yet God loved you and died for you, which is incredibly ennobling and incredibly freeing. Because it says, you are somebody that is loved and cared for. Whether you ever meet the expectations that you or anyone else has for you, because of what Jesus has done, you have that. Do you see that only the love of God has the power to uncoil the human heart from around itself? And the way we get that is not looking at ourselves and what we can or can't or should or shouldn't do, but it's looking at Him and clinging to Him and saying, give me what you have. So look at Him and cling to Him and trust Him. And I'm going to end with this. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when this guy comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter's dying. I, I need you to come to her house. I need you to make her well. And so Jesus gets up and he goes. And because he's Jesus, he's like never in a hurry. And so he's making his way through the city streets. And it's hot. It's crowded. All these people are pressing in on him. This is Jesus the miracle worker. This is Jesus the teacher. This is Jesus who maybe he's the Messiah, maybe he's not. We don't know what he's doing here. But like he's incredible and we want to see him. We want to be near him. And he's pressed in on all sides by these people and these crowds. He's making his way. And in that crowd, there's this woman. And she has spent over a decade in pain because she said this problem with bleeding. And she spent all she had to get better. And she, it's only made her poorer. It's only made her sicker. Because of it, she's kept out of the temple. So she can't really be close to God unless she wants to be close to him. And she's in this crowd and she says to herself, if I can just touch the edge of his clothes, I think I can be made well. And so she makes her way through the crowd and she reaches out and she grabs the edge of Jesus' cloak and he feels this power come out of him. And he says, wait, 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 who touched me? And his disciples are like, everyone has touched you, Jesus. We're in this crowd. What do you, what do you think's going on? He says, no, no, somebody touched me. I felt power grow out of me. And he says, who touched me? And this woman raises her hand. She says, it was me. And he looks at her and he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Look, so often 
we wonder, and am I doing enough for God? Have I screwed up too much for Him? Have I made myself too gross or polluted my soul with too many things? Have I ruined my life? What I want to say is those are the wrong questions. Those are questions that center around, do I have enough faith? Because the right question is, is who is my faith in? If you grasp the edge of who Jesus is, you will be made well. That woman was a real person, just like you are a real person. If that was her, why can't it be you too? All you need is a little faith. So look at him and grasp him and be made well. Amen. Let me pray. Um, Jesus, I do pray that you would be with us in all of our doubts and all of our fears. In the empty part of us that says, gosh, I want to be full. Lord, meet us in our emptiness. Let us actually bring our emptiness to you and find the fullness of your goodness and your merit and your rightness and your love for us. And God, as beggars at a feast, let us invite other beggars into that, that they too might be fed. In your name we pray, amen.